Hello, my name is Will Poulter. Transformation. I knew that transformation would be a fitting theme for this service. For me, leaving high school and imagining what may come next is a transformation in the forefront of my thoughts. This, is, this year has been a year of disorientation, uncertainty, and questioning for me. I found myself in a country where so many people express thoughts and values that I increasingly didn't want to be a part of. At the same time as this political and social upheaval, I found myself at the edge of childhood with being pulled forward by daunting questions. What type of a life do I want and how am I going to build it? I don't believe in God. I believe in history. Some of my earliest memories are my grandfather recounting to me about how the country and the world had gone through big, sometimes difficult changes and the great people who embodied that change. I fell in love with history. I'd pour through books, Wikipedia pages, documentaries, hypnotized by the unique transformations of the world and the changes humans have been able to witness. During these studies, history became my Bible, my guide for how to be human. So I've chosen a slice of history to explore and illustrate what I think transformation is to me. Let me take you to 1941, to Vence, in the south of France, where an old, sick, and tired Henri Matisse lay in his bed. His stomach was prolapsed. He was losing a fight with cancer and was plagued with pulmonary embolisms. Matisse stood in the face of his own death and languished in his pain as his family was arrested and imprisoned by the Nazis and he stared down the prospect of his life's work coming to a close, unfinished. As Matisse's fate stared him down, he was given a second chance. After many surgeries, he narrowly and miraculously escaped into a second life that awaited him. As an artist, Matisse's work opens us to a deeply personal look at him. The final years of his life offer a sharp break from the rest of his career. They offer a time where he seemingly forgot everything about how to be an artist and started anew. In his days plagued by his poor health, Matisse had been unable to paint and had to make use of a completely new medium, paper and a pair of scissors. Matisse would pick up a pair of clunky scissors and with large sheets of paper that he painted bold, single-blocked colors, he would cut away shapes and assemble them in substitution of paint and canvas. His movements were reduced to the bare minimum so that only the simplest of shapes could be observed. Particularly evocative are his cutouts of the human figure, an example of which is the blue nude on the cover of your order of service. <laughs> Matisse's cutouts show a transformation, one man's last reinvention of himself that reveals so much of the old artist. The man whose art had been coined fauve, beastly, had lost all inhibition and found peace in the last works of his life. He said that in all of his life, he had attempted 
to find peace by being his truest self. Whether by painting the joyous excesses, violent use of color, or in the beauty and eroticism of large nudes jumping, jumping, jumping in Jubilee. <laughs> um, but Matisse concluded that these cutouts were the pinnacle of his artistic career. He had attempted all of his life to find his truest self, but not until he was limited to the barest of movements with a large, clunky pair of scissors was he able to find God. I find solace in this personal transformation, in these cutout figures, in the way that their limbs twist, and in the fortitude of their stances. Why does a small window of history mean anything to me? Matisse was once asked, do you believe in God? To which he paused before his reply, only when I work. Matisse is a testament to the holiness that is transformation, being his boldest, freest self in the years shortly before his death. Perhaps it is transformation that opens us to see the holiness in everything. I think a lot of people mix up transformation with growth. My name is Wyatt Scalani, and several years ago, I was a child. <laughs> I believe that only nerds watch the news. I walked with a limp because it was fun, and I thought that the fifth Star Wars film was by far the worst. But these changed, and I, and I learned how the world worked. Now, even if I watch the news, I don't believe it. Limping only made others worry about you. And let's not get into Star Wars. <laughs> but much more changed for me. I learned what was cool and what was fine. Apparently, Beyblades were neither, so that had to go. I was shocked by how foolish I had been, and I only wished that I could just talk normally for once. I began to wear different clothes, and I only talked to the right people. My only criteria for what I could do or say was, will it make me more likable? Keep in mind, my idea of being likable was only directed at those who mattered, the ones who had large friend groups and always ate surrounded by people, the ones who looked like they had walked straight out of a commercial. I wore myself as a suit, and I tried not to let any of my true feelings slip through the cracks. When I stood on this stage two years ago to give my credo for coming of age, I was persuaded to leave out the word hell, as it might be too forceful. I never really understood the reasoning, but what it came down to was that as I spoke to those around me, those who had come to hear the words of my class, I realized that no matter how small the changes had been, the words out of my mouth weren't my own. Bear in mind, in the place of those who changed what I would say, I would have done the exact same for the better, but this is about a lot more than censorship of a single word. When I spoke my replacement phrasing, I started to think, which is dangerous to do in the middle of a speech. <laughs> But I held it all down. I came to believe that what I was speaking wasn't really me, but what I expected to be. I knew down deep that what I said wasn't what I thought. It felt nasty in my mouth. And when I revisited my credo later, I couldn't read it without questioning myself and my beliefs. But in this itself helped me understand more about transformation than the entire year of coming of age. The message I had crafted wasn't real communication. I knew that much. 
For speech meant to detail my transformation through the class. All it did was highlight the things that couldn't be dropped so easily. The things that I had hoped were only a part of being a child. As I was, I couldn't say my own truth. Only a bastardized version, twisted to what I thought was useful. What I thought would fit the rapidly tightening suit of myself. This is on me and no one else. Without realizing it, I transformed from a naive child into a self-conscious one. When I learned what things were okay, I was forfeiting a lot of who I was to be acceptable. I couldn't speak my whole truth because half of it I had convinced myself wasn't true. I didn't want it to be true. So the question is this, how can we speak our truths without changing our surroundings? We can't, I'll tell you outright. We can't be who we want to be without destroying parts of our existing lives. This is what's so terrifying about change. When we talk as we want and when we talk as we mean, we are transforming the whole world around us. I've been living as a copy for most of my life, a copy of what is good and what is acceptable, what can be said in public. But I've come to see that this isn't who I am. I've been thinking for a while now about how I can be me without losing all the benefits of staying as a copy. And I've come to a decision. I can't. I've tried lying for quite some time now, and that hasn't worked. So instead, I'll be truthful. How will I do this? Brutal honesty. Only by saying exactly what I feel can I become genuine to who I am. Here's some to start off with. I don't know if this will work. I don't know if this will help. And I don't know if this even matters to anyone else. These confessions may seem small, but hopefully, little by little, truth by truth, I can transform myself into someone I'd be proud to be. Hi, my name is Ben Yeager. A few years ago, I was at my cabin with my family. Our cabin is on a beautiful river full of little water bugs swimming around all over the place. One day, my family and I came upon an odd sight. A water bug had somehow come out of the water and crawled onto the sandbar we were relaxing on. Now, the water bug was doing something very strange. It seemed to be crawling out of itself. What we didn't know is that the water bugs were actually larvae and that this one was undergoing metamorphosis. We sat silently for what must have been 30 minutes, just watching, as the back of the bug telescoped out into a tail, the head changed form, and the exoskeleton began to fall away. Until the water bug we had stumbled upon was suddenly a gorgeous dragonfly drying its wings in the sun. And then, finally, we watched as it spread its wings and took flight for the very first time. The water bug had undergone a miraculous transformation right before our eyes. Without becoming a new creature, it had come into a completely new way of existing in the world. Spiritual transformation mirrors this process. When someone undergoes a radical change, that brings them into a new way of being. And we as a congregation, as well as each of us as individuals, is in the midst of a great transformation. We are making strides in our commitment to love in the form of justice, but we have not reached the moment of transformation yet. 
We need to bring ourselves to a point where, when we are in the presence of injustice, fear and inaction are not options, only acting boldly with love. This would be a radical change for us all, which can be a scary prospect. Luckily, many of us youth here are very familiar with massive change. Has, has anyone in here been through puberty? I'm going I'm to guess a fair number. Um, and as those of you I'm sure can attest to, puberty is a very radical change, and it is not without its challenges. In becoming a new version of yourself, there are voice cracks, stubbed toes, bumped heads, and then there are arguments with parents, hormone-induced awkwardness, and even people getting uncomfortable with the new person you have become. For example, my mom still does not like kissing my newly scratchy cheeks. <laughs> but I think we would generally not go back to our childhood brains and bodies. Likewise, the transformation we are going through as a congregation comes with challenges. We will make others uncomfortable sometimes. We may not always feel comfortable with our new selves, and we might even be pushed away by those close to us. But much like puberty is not a choice offered by nature, the principles that are the foundation of our faith require us to undertake this journey. To be a faith community that claims to insist on peace, on freedom, and on justice, we have to be a faith community that takes action for peace, for freedom, and for justice. We will all face obstacles on our path to action grounded in love. But First Universalist is a loving community. We are a strong community. We are a committed community. And I know that we can crawl out of our shells, spread our wings, and take flight.